Welcome to another SustainableWineBlog.com podcast with me, Toby Webb, and I'm very happy that joining me in today's podcast is Wilco Lamb, who is Chief Winemaker for Dry River Wines in Martinborough in New Zealand. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Wilco. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me. We're doing really well. It was a fantastic afternoon, so I'm enjoying being here. Great. Well, we're here at 67 Pound Mall in London, kind of a, a home for wine in, in, in London, if not the UK. Um, we were going to have a quick chat about the wines you make uh, and the sustainability issues that you see as you do that. But first of all, just tell us briefly, how, how does a Dutchman end up making wine in New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Um, we get lost in the, in the world, really. Um, I, I, I ended up in New Zealand um, about 16 years ago when I got... Um, ordered to leave Australia, that was purely because my visa ran out. So um, I, I came to the Southern Hemisphere really to pursue a career in wine and sort of 16, 17 years ago, um, Australia was uh, for me the first port of call because it was an exciting time to um, to enter in that country. But uh, unfortunately I couldn't make it in um, because I thought the only way in was studying. So that, that, that was a bit of a a bit of a damper on on my ideals um, so I stayed in Australia for a year until my visa ran out uh, and somebody advised me to go to New Zealand and study wine in a in, in this newly emerging country and that's what I did I, I came over I finished my studies and I, I found Mardenborough and how long have you been with the, the folks at Dry River? I arrived at Dry River in 2009 originally as um, assistant winemaker, and then uh, with some people uh, finding other careers, I moved up as winemaker in 2012, and then in 2014, 15, bit of a transition period where I um, got a promotion really to start looking after the complete business, vineyards, winery, and um, the welfare of the business really financially as well. Okay, so tell us about the wines you make. I mean, you're in a cool climate, you've got um, limited amounts of rain. I understand your vineyards, vineyards were chosen for the uh, minimal amounts of rain, so you're mm. making kind of cool climate varieties. Tell us about the wines you make. Yeah, so the, the wines we try to make at Dro River is, is wines that are suited for aging capacity. We're not trying to have wines ready for the market that are commercially attractive for a drink now. We, we really aim for uh, the collectors, the, um, uh, the, the special wine drinking community um, that, that seek out wines with, with, uh, with individual, individual, individuality uh, and typicity, um, obviously, uh, that, that speak a sense of place, really. Um, in terms of climate, um, the reason Dry River was um, established where they are in Matamora, which is the bottom of the North Island, um, really was uh, uh, climatic conditions, dry during, our, during the growing and ripening season, very low rainfall, about 300, 350 mils of rain in the long term average, um, but also cool climate conditions and that is uh, um, well suited for ripening varieties like Riesling, Chardonnay and, and particularly Pinot Noir. You've been around since what, late seventies, early eighties, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we tell you so. When I first started to see the world. So no, I meant the the winery. Oh, the winery, no. Oh, oh you yeah. too. But, uh, the, but the winery. Oh, the winery itself. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, Seventy-nine first plantings for Dry River. Yes. And the first production was. Our first wines produced were in eighty-four: Gruyere, Serena, Pinot Gris, and Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. So. Um, 
just just walk us through the, the wines you're making. I mean, I noticed you've got quite a few grapes that you're using. Chardonnay, yep. Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, Viognier, Riesling, Tempranillo, Gewürztraminer, Syrah, and did I see something called Lovat? Uh, Lovat is actually a vineyard. It's a vineyard, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so in the Lovat vineyard. Really grapes that I missed. <laughs> Yeah, it's the up and coming one. Um, so uh, Viognier, not anymore. Um, we decided uh, to remove that um, for reasons that uh, we have uh, a lot of tension in the market for several other varieties. So we removed that uh, that variety. But yeah, we for white wines we uh, have Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Gris, and Gewürztraminer. Um, and the latter two were the first two planted varieties for us, so we still see those as our flagship wines, very important to our company. Uh, red wines, there's a little bit of Tempranillo, that's more an experimental variety for us to, to, to sort of explore what climate change, um, the effects uh, of that what might have on planting a different uh, variety. It was also the reason why uh, about 25 years ago Syrah was planted to um, to have a long-term plan to see what might happen and whether we can ripen a, a variety like uh, Syrah. But yet, then about 30 to 35 percent of the actual plantings of the company is, uh, is Pinot Noir, and that's uh, very important to the business. And how much land do you farm in total for grapes? 12 hectares. That's oh, pretty small. Uh, we are a very small producer. Yeah. And I, I read on your website one of the ways you try to make the, the wines long-lived is to minimize oxygenation in the process. Correct. Tell us a bit about that. Where did that come from? Is that, uh, well, it, it actually comes from the way we aim to, to grow our wines in the vineyard. When we want to make a wine that is suited for uh, ageability in bottle, we want to bottle that wine in a very young state. And, and with plenty of, call it antioxidants, or so naturally occurring uh, a compounds that will be able to help withstand the impact of oxidation so we try to promote that the antioxidants in the vineyard um, by dry farming not using water for irrigation by utilizing UV light which um, helps build these antioxidants but also other uh, compounds like tannins and, and other phenolics um, and by pretty much increasing the bank account of those compounds, harvesting those when um, when they're in optimum uh, uh, condition, then protect, all we do pretty much in the winery is protect those from oxidation. Um, bottle of wine in a state where it's early in its maturation with plenty of oxidant, antioxidants, um, and hopefully that these wines evolve over time in the next 20, 30 years. Is that a, is that a common approach? Maybe not so well thought out from vineyard management to um, a winery management, how we treat the wines in, the, in both of those places. Uh, but, but sort of more reductive winemaking techniques are certainly used mainly in the new world. Um, it, and it's not whether one is better than the other. There is uh, several ways to achieve um, a longevity of a wine in bottle, the only thing that we recognize in New Zealand is we deal with a young wine industry at soils that might not uh, be able to uh, supply enough of those antioxidants. Um, so we feel that we have to protect what we've got. Okay, let's talk a bit about sustainability. Um, you, you say on your website that you don't claim to farm in any particular fashion beyond what we believe is sustainable and optimal for our site. Yeah. So that sounds like you're very much kind of doing your own thing rather than opting for more conventional kind of 
sustainability related standards. Correct. Correct. I think first, if we talk sustainability from our perspective at Troiva, we we recognise the three areas. That is um, the production side, sustainability in how we farm and how we produce wine. Then there is the obvious packaging uh, side. Um, how do we present that wine to the consumer? So the bottle, the label, the cork, etc. Uh, shipping and techniques. But then the other sustainable part, obviously, is our staff. How we look after people in our community. Um, so, so those are the three pillars of sustainability for us. If we look at uh, the production side, uh, yes, we aim for a sustainable production. Um, we do not want to claim necessarily uh, a style of, of, of production, so put it into a cage that into, call it either biodynamic production or organic production or uh, conventional. We feel we are farmers and we are um, the, the guardians um, uh, of 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 a piece of land, which then automatically means that we are transient. We are there on a short-term contract if we look at it over a thousand years. So we manipulate, we recognize we manipulate the land and we've got to do that in the most responsible and sustainable way. Um, so for us, that means um, be very careful and mindful and considerate in how we treat our soil in terms of soil management but then also the application of things like uh, uh, um, uh, herbicides um, then how we manipulate plants because we want to grow vines in order to grow wine um, and since agriculture is by nature an exploitation of land so we'll be growing grapevines we have to be quite mindful how we want to do that um, part of that is obviously a uh, pest and disease management plan um, that has got no impact or uh, minimal impact on uh, the biosphere or, or the, of, of the vine and promotes a biosphere of, of the vine and there's in our perspective several ways to do that utilizing techniques and biodynamics, but also from organics, but also from our own uh, experiences talking with other farmers or other primary industries and how they uh, promote health and, and, and life in the vineyard. So, so just to be clear, you do use herbicides and pesticides or you don't? No, 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 zero. Okay, so you, you could, Sorry, you could, you let could, me be, you could be a class of certified organic, but you choose not to be. No, we are in a certified organic program, okay. but there's no way that we would like to lay claim okay. in terms of um, a communication. Yeah, For I noticed that from your website, hence the question. Yeah. yeah, we do believe that, or bodies of um, uh, um, uh, organizations that will give out, um, uh, the authorities that give out, let's say, a, a, an organic uh, certification, any certification body, is pretty much a doctrine on what we are allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do within the, the, the constraints of, of, of what the organization works in. And for us, if we want to um, say that we are uh, who we are and what we do, then I think the least amount of doctrine or body that gives a doctrine for us as an organic management um, uh, uh, body that, um, that that sort of judges us. So 
in short, you know your land best than any kind of prescriptive prescriptive system. So you'd rather take your own approach than you know, use a full-on framework by somebody else. Of course, for farmers, we believe we know best, so, and we utilize tools to guardian the land and exploit the land at the same time. So, in the past, have has the wine industry in New Zealand, in your opinion, used too many chemicals? Yes. And has that impacted the soil that, that you're on or the other vineyards on? Does that have a long-term effect or is that kind of... 100 percent. We, part of the uh, testing or part of the uh, certification regime, for example, in this case, uh, in, in, in biogrowth or organic certification, uh, is, is a soil test. And in the soil test, they look for DDT, um, um, uh, uh, trace elements of DDT because they used to be used um, maybe 40, 50 years ago when, yeah. uh, when they came straight out of um, after World War. Yeah, the miracle chemical, but they never disappear. And so what they recognize that, that it is in the soil and it remains in the soil and they need to know what levels have remained in the soil. And our certification is judged upon that, even though we didn't apply any of that. Mm -hmm. So could be that we have we, we weren't even able to qualify for certification based on what a farmer before us um, has applied to his land. So yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. Let me ask you about um, climate change. I always ask every winemaker I meet about what they've noticed in terms of changes in the last 10 or 15 years. What have you seen in, in New Zealand? We have, um, we're dry farm, so we cannot ameliorate uh, a vintage in terms of uh, water addition to get more growth or better growth um, of a vine or, or cough with dry conditions. Um, and for that, we, we need to make long-term decisions on things like planting densities or a, a, a crop load by setting that up in, in winter pruning. So we looked at a hundred year um, uh, average rainfall and and yeah we've seen the trends go downwards especially in the last 20 years the uh, so it's less water very right? clear trend that the rainfall is diminishing and what about uh, kind of average temperature is that affecting alcohol levels ripeness <coughs> is that a concern yeah we have to uh, consider be considerate about uh, rising temperatures so we look at things like ground degree days so the average temperature over 10 degrees during a 24-hour period um, and then accumulative over the growing season and ripening season and we've seen those slowly rising as well and that um, will definitely impact our management uh, decisions in the vineyard. So what can you do in the vineyard? I mean, I, I've been down New Zealand. The directness of the light is quite extraordinary. Yes, yeah, UV like, light exposure. You really do feel it immediately. And does that have an impact? What can you do in the vineyard to kind of try and offset some of these changes? Well, UV light is actually a real positive thing for us. We we, we utilize that to grow skin phenolics, skin tannins. So so so. Thickness of the skins in the vineyard can help us also in natural disease uh, resistance. Um, more antioxidants means um, that uh, fungal attacks are uh, naturally uh, ameliorated. Um, so um, we utilize UV light. However, um, a temperature and, and the one that we can't really do much about, for example, is nighttime temperatures. We used to pride ourselves in low and nighttime temperatures, so good acid retention and beautiful aromatics. Um, now, if the nights go warmer and the ambient temperature stays the same, 
um, we, we are at the risk of um, uh, lower acidity wines, um, higher alcohol wines during the day due to um, uh, higher CO2 sort of uh, transfer. Mm. So what can you do about that? I mean, lower leave regime. So uh, less leaves means um, uh, less, less gas exchange, less humidity, but also less gas exchange, so mm -hmm. less um, sugar accumulation. Um, we can um, use soil management, so leave cover crops, so do less mowing, uh, grow more and higher crops in the vineyard to, uh, to, to keep a little bit of coolness in, in the vineyard. Okay, so there are various things you can do. And a, a final question, what role do you see technology playing in, in this kind of area in the next five or 10 years? Will there be tiny drones buzzing all over your vineyard, you know, uh, <coughs> catching disease before it takes hold or helping with um, yeah, mm. uh, offsetting some of the other problems you might be finding? I think there are other ways first before we start thinking about drones or robotics in, in the vineyard. Um, there's definitely a push for imagery uh, from above to look at a, a, a targeted irrigation and, and, and stress in the vineyard. But I think we have to look at some um, uh, fundamental issues first and that is for example rootstock choice if we want to um, and be very careful with our water use and be more sustainable with our water use then we also need to ensure that plants um, can cope with drought, um, drought times of drought and if we uh, as an industry don't have the ability to go on drought resistant rootstocks then sustainability from the root onwards is fluid, really. So, so on, on that point, do you see a future for gene editing and the, the rootstock you'll be using in the future? No, I think um, there's plenty of rootstocks out there already that um, are capable uh, of, 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 of coping with droughts and exploring um, soil deeper. So technology in that sense, it's all there already. It just has to come to a country like New Zealand and people need to be open that they have a problem. And if they don't address that really soon, they might skip to technology and gene editing before they actually look at, at a simpler solution, really. Um, I, I, I think that is maybe still a little bit too far away for us. I think there's, mm -hmm. there's easier solutions right now. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. That's been a podcast with Wilco Lamb, who's Chief Winemaker for Dry River Wines in Marshburg, New Zealand. Uh, Wilco, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure.